Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Okay, hey, church planner, this is Hardcore Church Planning, and I am Peyton Jones, and I am here without Pete. Pete Mitchell, my compadre, my my shotgun writer, my my, my big buddy, uh, Haas, as I like to call him. Of course, he calls me little buddy. I'm not sure I'm crazy about that. But uh, anyways, I am in Nashville at the SIN 2015 conference, and I am here with a guy that I have tracked with for quite a while, a guy I respect from a distance, and uh, he is uh, with the Louisiana Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, he does some work for them. I'm going to let him talk about it, but his name is Lane Corley, and Lane, welcome to the podcast. All right. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate your work. and. Uh the podcast, uh, Church Zero, look forward to the future projects you, you got uh, coming out. And uh, appreciate you tracking with us in Louisiana. And, uh, you know, you've uh, added to our our uh, network there uh, through Facebook and things like that. So just just grateful for you and your work. And uh, love to, we're looking forward to getting you down to Louisiana sometime soon. Hmm. Well, it'd be, it would be a pleasure. And I mean, you guys, you know, you're, you're, we just bumped into a planner who knows all the Duck Dynasty guys because he's in that area. And one of the reasons, there's a couple reasons I want to interview you. Uh, number one, like I said, I, cr- I crashed your Facebook party, um, you know, I, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And I have been impressed by the, the activity that uh, has come uh, out of the ministry that you have there in Louisiana. And um, so before we get started, um, I, I'm going to want to go with this podcast uh, talking about some of the challenges that are unique to uh, a southern context. And particularly, you have a lot of rural areas, but you guys also have New Orleans there. And so uh, it's quite a, a varied uh, location, I'd imagine. But uh, but anyways, before we begin, if Pete were here, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I can't even do Pete's voice; it's a little high pitched than mine. But uh, if I were Pete, I would say, Lane, uh, tell us a little bit about how you came to faith and how you got into church planning. Right. Well, I I grew up in a very rural town in Louisiana, LaSalle Parish. Uh, just kind of about an hour south of Duck Dynasty country, and uh, my my family were people of faith, and so I, I came to Christ when I was about 12 years old, and uh, immediately began sensing a kind of a call to do something for God, uh, you know. But I knew the expressions of ministry that I saw around me. Uh, didn't fit what was in my heart. I, I didn't want to be the guy in the three-piece suit up there pounding the big pulpit, and I couldn't sing, uh, you know, and that was kind of the expressions in, in rural church life at that time. Uh, you could preach or or sing. And uh, when I got into college, I, uh, I started going on mission trips with the collegiate ministry we were involved with, and, and I said, okay, this is this is better. This, this fits. Uh, this, this feels right. 
And it wasn't until I actually uh, finished college and, and what do you do next if you feel a call to ministry where you go to, you go to seminary or Bible college. So I went to seminary and it wasn't till there that I heard the term church planting for the first time. A guy came up to me after class and said, Hey, can you come help me set up chairs at my new church, my church plant this weekend? And I didn't really have a good excuse to, to say no. So I went and it was in the office of an apartment complex uh, in inner city Irving. And, uh, and it was chaotic. There were different people groups, different languages spoken, Jehovah's Witnesses passing out materials, Mormons peering in the door. And I said, this is exactly what I've been looking for all of my life. And uh, so I was the last one to leave that day and first one there the next week. And I, I tell people I've been setting up chairs on Sundays ever since kind of thing. And uh, yes, it's just become a passion. That's church plan, isn't it? That's right. Church, church planning pastor sets up chairs. Yeah. That, that's just a, that's a, that's a law of the universe. That's it. Uh, it's great, man. So uh, what was it about um, kind of mission that really sparked you? I mean, that, that's what I'm getting from is that uh, you just you you somehow didn't connect with what you had grown up with. You didn't really connect with that kind of ministry. But somehow when you when you got out and around people and there was a challenge, something came alive in you. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I guess it's that that, you know, that uh, Apostle Paul drive to to plant where nobody has planted yet you know where the name of christ has not yet been known and that that uh, uh that exhilarating feeling of seeing you know uh people that are not yet christians and the potential in the room uh full of uh you know different people groups different perspectives uh difficult situations that that just that drives the heart of the the apostolic type church planter i guess you know uh and that's that's kind of where we've been ever since and and we were uh, my wife heather and i were, were were from louisiana we we served a little bit in albuquerque new mexico and then and uh, we were in uh, inner city irving and we both felt a drive a, a call for our home state uh but growing up in north louisiana where there's man there's a lot of churches we we're like where in louisiana do they need new churches you know uh and that's when we we uh, we met some folks with our uh, state convention that told us about the needs along I-10 and I-12 in Louisiana, and uh, and we found those pockets of people and that great potential uh, for something where there's now nothing, you know, uh, all across South Louisiana, and and God has allowed us to to plant our lives there now, uh, thankfully. So that's awesome, man. I've been through the uh, I-10 a million times, back and forth. <laughs> Excuse me. I got family in uh, Alabama, and of course, uh, I I grew up in California. So you know, yeah. single mom, you do the math, right? We 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 had many a car car trip there, and uh, and of course, as an adult, I've I've done many cross country trips. But um, that is, you know, people think about just the geography of the South, and they think, well, Bible Belt. You know, why why would you need to? to plant churches in the Bible Belt. And, uh, and of course, I'm going to let you answer that, but, but that's going to roll around to another question. But how, how do you deal with that misconception? Well, I, I think that it, that is true. There are, there are a lot of churches, but there are pockets, uh, I think, in every community, in every state, that is still underserved with the gospel. You know, I think we need new churches even where there are already a lot of churches because new generations are coming up new people groups are moving into our communities 
And, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm a saturation guy. I, I believe in saturation church planting. We, we can't have enough churches uh, to get the name of Christ out there. But, uh, but Louisiana, the unique uh, part of Louisiana, I, I like to call South Louisiana the back pocket of the Bible Belt. Uh, it, it, along I-10, I-12, there's still many communities that are just underserved. You know, church to population ratio, if you like that figure. Uh, there's parts of South Louisiana that have a church population ratio of 1 to 8,000, 1 to 9,000. I think New Orleans is about 1 to 7,800, uh, which is real, uh, 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 you know, a real uh, low uh, ratio for the South in, in general. And then when you look at across the South as well, when you look at the percentage of people actually attending church, uh, in Louisiana, uh, we have, I believe, it's only about two parishes, uh, the best studies we can do, that register over 10% of people actually attending church on a, any given Sunday. And across South Louisiana, communities like Lafayette, which was just a scene of the horrific theater shooting, and uh, in New Orleans, it's, it's around 2% or less. So, uh, so it, you know, we, we don't have a... We don't have a, a Bible Belt uh, anymore. If you look at figures like that, you, you could say so. New churches are are needed, and also uh, church planting and church revitalization. Uh, I think tie in so well together. We have so many churches that are coming to the end of their life, and we can plant new churches in those uh, in those facilities, uh, our communities, uh, and I, I think it's just a great way for church planting and church revitalization and growth to to all come together across the South. Absolutely, and you know when when I'm going through the South, um, I'm always you know my my favorite place to stop off is Cracker Barrel. And then second to that is uh, Waffle House. And I am one of those people that loves to sit in a greasy Waffle House and uh, take about an hour off my life with every every bite. But here, here's the deal. Um, you know, I, I look at those places, the bars, the trucker stops. I mean, you know, you have within the South, you have as many areas as any other city in any other place where the church just does not penetrate. And so um, one of the things I know from tracking with you is that, as you said about saturation, that is very evident from watching you online and reading your reports and the stuff you write and the studies you publish. Um, tell, tell me a little bit more about what kinds of church plants are going on that are saturating. Well, uh, you know, in Louisiana a few years ago, our church planting uh, team recognized uh, you know, hey, if we've got to look at different models, if we're going to saturate Louisiana, if we're going to plant churches in Louisiana, uh, we've got small communities, less than 50,000, less than 25,000, some less than 10,000, some that have never had an evangelical church, believe it or not, in, in Louisiana. So we said, you know what, a traditional model with a church planter that graduates seminary and, and moves, uh, you know, to the area and, and takes on a full-time salary immediately she's not going to work for many of these communities so so we immediately said okay we've got to adopt an aggressive uh vocational church planting strategy you know so we just kind of open the doors for bivocational church planting so that's a lot probably probably close to or maybe over 50 percent of our church planting right now that we're funding uh through the southern baptist cooperative program is uh, is bivocational church planters and and 
um, because of these small communities that need guys to, to plant their lives and, and, and those kind of things. So, so that's, that's been a big part of the story over the last few years is, uh, is just saying yes to, to, that, to that bivocational church planting approach and encouraging that, you know, uh, and then looking within our churches to businessmen and, and, and uh, that, that may have an apostolic gifting and, and things like that. I think that's going to be the route to go uh, in the future. Uh, but uh, our unique culture kind of kind of demands that. So that's I think that's one big story. Uh, in New Orleans is, of course, 20% of our state's population. And even New Orleans, though, even though it's a city of, of, a, of a million, a little over a million people, it has, uh, you know, uh, George Ross, our, our Sin City coordinator, talks about this, really 70 distinct neighborhoods. So it's basically 70 small communities within this big city, and probably, probably a lot of big cities are like that. So it even takes a unique approach, uh, expecting uh, a slow growth, uh, you know, bivocational approach uh, to church planting, you know. So, so that's, that's been, I think, a big transition that we've made over the past few years that, that, have, that has been good. Uh, and so we're seeing, you know, more baptisms and, and more, uh, you know, uh, more people saved across our state through church planting and now more uh, existing churches are getting behind it and seeing, you know, that, hey, this is, uh, like Peter Wagner said, the best way to evangelize, uh, you know, our state. That's awesome. Um, what are some of the challenges to planting in Louisiana? Well, I think, you know, one is, is a challenge that, that uh, maybe every southern state faces is everybody thinks they're saved already, you know. <laughs> and we have a large Roman Catholic population, uh, uh, many of them nominal. And, and, you know, we have everybody uh, in the south, uh, you know, that kind of has that uh, – you know, traditional thing is every, everybody's, I'm a Christian because I, I, I'm in the South. I'm a Christian because I'm American. So, you know, we almost have to help people get lost before we get them saved. So, so that's, that's one thing, you know, there's, there's a, uh, yeah. No, 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 carry on. I was, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it, let's, let's come back to point two, but how do you do that? How do you get them lost before you get them saved? Well, I think it, it's, uh, you know, it's got to be relationally, uh, you know, I, I've had conversations over and over again, uh, serving in Louisiana and in, in the Dallas, uh, Fort Worth area as well. You know, uh, you, you talk to begin the conversation with somebody about Christ and they immediately say, well, I'm Catholic or I'm Baptist or I'm Methodist. And, and, and they're, they're hoping just to shut down that conversation, you know, so in building relationship with them. Uh, you know, uh, helping them come to the point where where they see that it's more than just what was on the sign at the church they went to when they were a kid that makes them a Christian. So a lot of it's a, a lot of it's about relationship. I think. Also, I, I think mission helps us do that in our context. I'm a part of a church plant right now in a, a town uh, north of New Orleans called Madisonville, which is a, a small town. A few years ago, it had no evangelical church that was open. A few evangelical churches had closed due to hurricane damage. Uh, now we have a, a, a few that have opened back up, but but uh, but we've tried to go in. It's got a large Roman Catholic population, and we try to go in and let mission lead, let our acts of service in the community, um, rebuilding homes after hurricane damage and things like that, help 
open people's eyes to you know the uh, to, to see the Holy Spirit at work through His people, through God's people, uh, as they serve the community and give their lives on mission for others, you know, and and uh, and then that gives us the opportunity to say, you know, why, uh, how we've been changed through Christ is why we 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 serve, and uh, so so it helps people begin introspectively to think, man, do I have that power? Do I have that love? And and, uh, and and those kind of things. So that'd be a couple ways, I think. Awesome. So uh, you, you were saying, so I, I interrupt you after your first point. What are some of the other challenges of planting in the South, and particularly Louisiana? Well, the I, I mentioned the rural nature. The, uh, we have a lot of small communities, 50,000 or less, 25,000 or less, even some 10,000 or less, that need churches. Uh, we have an area just uh, uh, just south of uh, Alexandria called Avoyles Parish, and Avoyles Parish uh, had about three or four communities that have never had an evangelical church, and so, but they're communities of you know seven thousand population, eight thousand population. Uh, traditional models just just would not work there. I think people had tried to go there and make a living as a pastor. So now we're taking a more bivocational approach. I think that that's one of the big challenges. I think maybe the bigger challenge in that is getting church planters that will go to those communities because, you know, it's never going to be a a large blow up mega church from a community of seven to ten thousand. Uh, probably now it could be. Uh, we have some stories in North America where that's not. I mean, Ronnie Floyd's church in North Arkansas is in a small community, so it can happen. God can do whatever He wants, but but getting church planners that want to go to kind of forsaken places off of I ten and those kind of things is a challenge. And then when church planners do go, helping them manage their expectations right. to, to see that, hey, this is going to be, there's never been a church here. There's going to be a need to be a long season of cultivating the ground before you experience a, a harvest here. So helping that, that church planter and team continue to be encouraged, you know, through a, a slow growth uh, kind of ministry, you know, I think is one of the challenges. And, and uh, but it's also, if you can accept that and the the apostolic gifting that, that you talk about in your books, you know, that's what we're geared for. We we, we enjoy that cultivating and, and planting, and we're okay with waiting for that that harvest and uh, that kind of thing. You know, it, it's really interesting because not only is the bivocational uh, way of church planning probably the only way it's going to happen, but I think it actually overcomes another challenge of planting in the South. Um, like I said, my, my family lives in Alabama, and my uncle in particular, um, he is the stereotyped redneck. He um, is a good guy. I mean, really good guy. But he was raised uh, in a family um, very poor. Um, he himself is illiterate, chews tobacco, has a pickup truck with uh, a fishing, you know, a gun, a gun rack with fishing poles in it. Um, you know, you name it, right? I mean, there is nothing about my, you know, it has a trout line down by the creek. Uh, to translate that, that's a trout line down by the creek. Um, you know, kills a hog every year, eats it, barbecues it. Um, he is, he is in Wetumpka, Alabama. His name is Cecil. 
love him to death. He's a super cool guy. Um, but uh, I remember once he and I were chatting, and I can't remember what it was. Somehow something about church came up. And, and I think he's typical of a hardworking American in the rural South because he has worked hard all of his life. Um, and it, his response, I, I can't remember the context. We were talking about um, something to do with pastors. And he just, with a kind of a grin, and you know, that, that kind of uh, country wisdom, that southern country wisdom that comes out. Uh, Spurgeon wrote a book called John Plowman's Talks about the, the, the wisdom of farmers in the UK. I think farmers, and, and you know, and he has a small holding, uh, you know, they, they tend to have this kind of earthy wisdom. Oh, yeah. and, uh, and he just said, you know, with kind of a twinkle in his eye and a little grin, he said, I wonder how many of those pastors in town would still do it if they didn't get paid for it. And and I I feel like that is probably very typical of more rural areas where people have worked hard, they've sweat day in and day out to earn their crust, that they look at the guy with the designer jeans, with the, you know, the, the, the really nice shirt, you know, with the, uh, you know, the, 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 the tan, the gym membership, and he's up there like a mini celebrity preaching, you know, raking in, you know, all kinds of crazy money. And they just look at that and go, that's not real life. And I think that the answer of the bivocational church planner to communities like that not only a helps them reach that community because you know they're not going to get paid for it but b it also takes away that prejudice that i think many people in those communities are feeling against the church would would that be fair to say oh yeah i definitely think so and and having grown up in in that context uh, in where my dad was an oil field worker and and had a log truck and and uh you know, I, I think one kind of unreached people group in the South may be that that Uncle Cecil, that that hardworking man that uh, you know his hands are, are rough and calloused. And uh, I remember the first church I served as youth pastor. It was in one of those communities uh, south of Monroe, Louisiana, and I was required as the youth pastor to wear a, a tie on Sundays. And I got to thinking about looking around at the men in the church, and I wondered if, if I was me and the senior pastor were the only ones that even owned the tie and suit. And uh, I remember one Sunday we had a guest speaker, and he came through the coffee pot room at the church, shook everybody's hand, and then walked out. And the, the men in the room, the conversation turned to how soft his hands were, you know. Is that and they weren't used to feeling men with solving, and you know, and I began to wonder. Even though I was in college, you know, the the gap between uh, professional ministry and and the southern uh, the men in the southern culture. Uh, so I think it, it it is still unreached people group of sorts, and that could man the, that that southern man could could if given a passion for the gospel. Uh, you know, would, and we're seeing that in some places, like New Spring Church with uh, Perry Noble. He's kind of reaching that uh, uh, that NASCAR crowd, so to speak. But in Louisiana, the oil oil patch worker they call them, and, and the logger uh, community, those communities, uh, you know, are, are really unreached in a lot of ways. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that. I'm thinking of um, Little House on the Prairie. This is one of my secret shames. I love that show, right? I'm a man. 
but I'm not ashamed to admit it, dang it. I like Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. And it uh, makes me cry every time. Yeah. I can't watch that show without crying. You know, stupid Paul, you made me cry again. But, you know, as, you, as you're looking at that show, right, you got the Reverend Alden on there. And, 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 and you know, okay, no, no disrespect to the Reverend Alden. I mean, you watch his show, he's a cool guy. But now, you remember the episodes where, like, Paul had to preach? Because the Reverend only was there every oh, yeah. so often. Yeah. The difference between just your story about the soft hands and a guy who maybe doesn't know real life, um, you know, he's come straight out of seminary, can't relate to the hardworking guy. Uh, then you've got, you know, like the Reverend Alden versus Pa. When you see Pa take the pulpit, you know, you're watching the show. You're like, man, that'd be so cool oh, yeah. if Pa were a pastor, you know, yeah. if he were a preacher, man, that, that would be a guy that you could, you could totally respect as a dude first and then as, you know, a man of God. And so, um, I, I think bivocational pastors are more like Pa, yeah. you know, less like the Reverend Alden. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I was going somewhere deeper with that. And in case in point, for example, uh, Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, th- those of you that don't know the doctor, I quote him enough on this show. You got to know him. As it says in the book of Judges, there arose a generation which knew not the doctor. Uh, you, you need to know Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, amazing expositor, a guy who's way ahead of his time, as ahead of his time as C.S. Lewis was uh, in, in his stuff. Lloyd-Jones in the, in the evangelical world, and he called it. And one of the things he said, um, this is a reform guy now, he said, you know, the worst thing we can do is have young men go straight to seminary and then put them in a pulpit. He said what they need is to work. And, of course, Lloyd-Jones had worked as a Harley Street physician, which was, you know, uh, uh, the heart of London, um, right near Westminster Chapel. He was dealing with movers and shakers, uh, world leaders, um, you know, people that, that we read books about. He was seeing life. He was seeing life in the fast lane in, in many respects. And then he went to what, by today's standards, would be considered a rural town, which was um, steelworking town, but, but Hickville. Wales, by the way, if you don't know this, is considered the Hickville of the U.K., and that's because they were all coal miners, they were all blue collars, steel workers, um, steel towns, steel mills, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, before that, it was tin plate works. Um, so they were all blue collar. They were all the roughnecks. And uh, this scar, Lane, right yeah, there is yeah. from a, 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 a rugby player. Um, I lasted a, a six weeks in before that happened. But, uh, but all that to say... Um, then Lloyd-Jones goes to this really rough steelworking town. And I think that kind of opened his eyes to, you know, because of his background, he had seen things as a, as a doctor, you know, everything from VD to people dying to, you know, hor- you know, people being mangled. He was ready to be there. You know, London, of course, the violence. He had treated so many people that, uh, you know, he had seen real life by then. And I think that uh, many of our um, young men, you get, you can tell, like when they're super arrogant, you just know, like, oh gosh, <laughs> you're, you're in for a rough road, right? But uh, but Lloyd Jones had had come to believe that 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 was important. So if you're out there today and you're a bivocational church planner, um, take it from Lane, take it from me, take it from the doctor. You know, uh, uh, being bivocational, not only does it free you up to go absolutely anywhere where the need is, 
but it also will give you respect in the eyes of the people that you're trying to reach. And uh, any any last uh, thoughts as we're heading the, the to the to the end of the podcast here before we end? Well, uh, man, I'm just just I'm excited about what God's doing through church planting in, in North America, and excited to be a, a small part of it in my part of the world, Southeast Louisiana. There, and uh, I'd say you know if if you're looking for a a place uh, to to go that that is still uh, that's a very unique culture that's still a uh, you know in a lot of ways a mission field. Consider South Louisiana. Uh, we also have speaking of bivocational life, you know, of course, if you're if you're in the oil industry, you know, uh, you can find a job. We'd love we we're we're looking for actively people in the oil industry that may can help plant churches across uh, Interstate 10 there what's becoming known as the chemical corridor, you know, from Houston to Baton Rouge. And uh, we'd love to have you consider coming down and planting. And, and, uh, and we, we have churches that are ready to sponsor and support and uh, pray for you and, and those kind of things. So that's, that's one thing. We want to just issue an invitation, I guess, to, to come down. And if you're through, uh, you know, I, I tell my family from North Louisiana, so y'all drive through on your way to Florida. A lot of people do that. You know, you drive through on your way to Alabama or Florida. So stop by and, and have a po' boy with us there. And uh, Ooh, I'll take you up on that. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. And and then if you don't mind me sharing my information, you can find me at, at, at lanecorley.com. And uh, I just write stuff in, of interest to, to church planning in Louisiana. Uh, you can also find my, my contact info there and, and would love to connect. I can I can honestly tell the listeners the reason that uh, we've had Lane on here is I have done exactly what he just said to do. I am extremely encouraged. Lane has uh, there's like I said there's just a lot of activity. He works with a lot of different guys. It is fascinating to read the stuff that he puts on Facebook. Um, the stuff he writes is very well researched. Um, he's got a heart for the gospel, a heart for church planning. Um, that that is is you know, rarely equaled. And so again, I've had Lane on here because I respect him. I, I love his heart for Louisiana. I love his heart for his boys as church planners. So definitely he's a guy, even if you're not going to go to Louisiana, you want to connect with him. You want to track him. You want to stalk him and learn from him. So check him out. And Lane, before we uh, eject you out of the, the, the seat here, uh, we, we, we always ask a question. This is Pete's favorite question. And, uh, the, the, now that Pete's not here, I can actually tell you, this was my question on, on the uh, original one we did, but I, I was asking all the questions. I, I don't let Pete talk often. So this, this podcast won't be too much different from uh, when Pete's actually on the show. Yeah. But, uh, but, but the, uh, the, the first time, I, I'm like, I'm going to ask a question about fighting at the end. And uh, so, uh, Lane, I, because he's got that bluegrass thing going on, I was going to ask you if you could take David Crowder. But now that I'm here with you and I see, you know, kind of how big you are, <laughs> I, it's kind of insulting. So I'm not going to ask that because you would, you would just kill him. You would just crush him with one blow. But, uh, but unless he's kind of like, a, he could be like a wiry kung fu guy, you know. But because of the Duck Dynasty uh, connection, I'm not going to ask about Uncle Sai because I don't know if anyone could take Uncle Sai. You know, he's Vietnam, secret special ops, you know, all those stories, you know, which I'm sure none of them are true. But we're, we're just, we're not sure. So we're just, we're just going to, you know, take his word for it. But uh, if you and Willie got into a physical fist fight, 
who would win? Oh, that that's a that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Um, I would rather be in a physical fit, fist fight with with any of the Robertsons than a than a gun fight for sure. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I I, I think I could. Uh, you know, I'm from south of of. Uh, of Monroe, so technically uh, in my community we consider them Yankees uh, in Monroe. So, uh, so I think the I think this uh, Southern boy could take the Yankee. I don't know. Oh, I dig it, man. I dig it. I love that dynamic. And what cracks me up about that is you you have to know the South to know what he just said there. And uh, you know, but I love the fact that anyone north of you is a Yankee. Yeah, right. That is the best, man. So, hey, Lane, it's been awesome having you on the, on the show, man. This has been Hardcore Church Planting, and Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.